I think if you look at what has happened in the last decade in uh, the medical device sector, um, it has unfortunately been afflicted by a couple of quite significant disasters. This is HPG Engage, the podcast. On our podcast, we will give you insight into the minds and professional experiences of thought leaders in Australia within the healthcare space. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking to David Cade. David is a medical doctor with extensive experience within the oncology and medical devices space, whilst holding numerous senior medical positions, including global medical director and chief medical officer. Throughout his career, David has gained over 15 years industry experience within reputable global businesses such as Certex and Cochlear. We find out from David how he transitioned from a practicing physician to working at a global level. So thanks for taking time to come and speak with me, David. Um, I know most recently you were working as Chief Medical Officer over at Cochlear, which mm -hmm. is famous for their hearing aid medical devices. Um, what interested me most was the fact that you came from a clinical background as a practicing doctor into medical devices. Mm -hmm. Now that's um, a bit different to the traditional route of doctors looking to move into industry as they move into pharma. So what was your sort of thinking about or your reasoning into going into medical devices rather than pharmaceuticals? Well, Joe, thanks for the uh, wonderful opening question. Yeah, look, well, I, I'd be the first to admit it was not um, based on any great consideration or, um, you know, uh, focus on uh, the science. It was basically uh, serendipity that ended uh, me up in a small um, Australian company called mm. Certex way back in the early 2000s who had a uh, novel, never seen before therapy for liver cancer um, developed in Perth, Western Australia. Um, and while it was a medical device, uh, according to the US FDA, mm. uh, for all intents and purposes, it operated in the gastrointestinal cancer world. And so I ended up in oncology, but working mm -hmm. for a never um, seen before medical device um, and device company. Mm. Okay, cool. And was it always the plan to stay within oncology once you sort of finished as a clinical practitioner? Well, you know, it's interesting um, you asked that question. When I was a junior doctor uh, coming through my surgical training, I never really gave much thought to oncology. It was always uh, a somewhat grim uh, specialization in, in medicine. You yeah. know, I saw a lot of patients unfortunately succumb to their disease over the years. Mm. And uh, I think in the uh, 1990s, we, we had very few options that were effective. Um, when I found myself in oncology, um, in the 2000s, uh, early part of the 2000s, new therapies were coming through at a, at a rapid rate of knots. Uh, and the options, for example, in colorectal cancer exploded. Mm. And, um, you know, the survival rates for colorectal cancer at the time went from about nine months out to almost three years. And it became a, um, a much more favorable prognosis for those folks who had that, that disease. And that, that was the case for all of the major types of cancer, mm. uh, or certainly most of the major types of cancer. Yeah, and it's, it's still very much a growing market, mm -hmm. uh, oncology, not mm -hmm. as, you know, very much a, you know, the case within pharmaceuticals, but as well as medical devices. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, how do you see kind of the future of oncology progressing within, within both, Yeah, say? Yeah, I think uh, we live uh, at a very uh, interesting time. 
we have made uh, major progress. You know, I think uh, here in Australia, um, we have the dubious uh, honour of being, you know, the world champions at melanoma, for example, mm. in terms of incidents mm. um, because of our environment. Um, you know, five years ago, that was a grim diagnosis to, to be uh, in receipt of from, from your clinician, you know, to be told you have advanced melanoma. Mm. Uh, that can't be addressed by a surgeon. Today, with the, the last five years, advances in uh, the immuno-oncology agents, um, we've seen a profound shift in, uh, in the therapeutic options available to patients with melanoma. Uh, that doesn't exist in uh, diseases like glioblastoma and pancreatic cancer and such. Uh, so we've got such enormous uh, progress that we still need to make mm. in these types of cancers. And I think as we uh, better understand the interplay between genotype and phenotype, uh, we will find uh, you know, more druggable, you know, if you will, um, targets in, mm. in these um, undertreated cancers. And yeah. that's where the advances will get made. So as, as touching upon the, uh, you know, the transition from clinical mm -hmm. practitioner into to industry, mm -hmm. what made you want to move into medical affairs as mm -hmm. opposed to something like clinical trials or a clinical trials physician? Yeah, look, um, it was certainly not by design. Uh, uh, during my early surgical training, um, you know, I had a mentor, uh, the chairman of surgery. Uh, he was a Good plastic mentor. surgeon. Yeah, <laughs> mentor to have. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, you know, when you're a junior physician, you tend to follow the very sage advice of your mentor. Mm. And uh, he was doing an MBA, uh, you know, masters of uh, business administration, and uh, his counsel was that I consider doing something similar, which I did. Mm -hmm. And I ended up finding myself um, you know, completely outside of medicine, not through any uh, lack of um, satisfaction with, with medicine, but just serendipity took me outside of medicine. Mm. And um, you know, I found, found myself working for a management consulting firm for banks in Thailand and mobile telcos in Indonesia um, in the early 2000s. Okay. And really, you know, it was logic to me that I'd, I'd find myself a role in a uh, a med tech or a biotech company, uh, combining you know, you know the clinical skills that I'd learnt and mm. uh, the commercial skills that I'd recently picked up. Yeah, okay. And I know a big part of medical affairs is sort of interacting mm -hmm. with, with KOLs mm -hmm. and um, you know much like healthcare professionals and, um, and doctors and specialists. So how would you say your medical degree and maybe even your MBA? Yes. How do you think that enables you to? Um, positively interact with these healthcare professionals or HCPs or KOLs, yeah. however you want to call them. There's so many names at the moment. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, I think uh, as a physician, um, you know, you, you go to med school when you're 17 or 18 in your first year of, uh, of, of your medical degree. Uh, you know, it really is your formative years. Uh, I think medicine, you know, does um, inculcate itself into your own DNA. Uh, so very, uh, I think it's very important to always remember the needs of the patient um, and uh, even when we become a clinician or a physician in industry we never forget uh, that first and foremost we are there to protect the interests of the patient. Oh, excellent stuff. So, as I, again, I'm touching upon the time that you spent in medical devices, both mm -hmm. at Surtex and mm -hmm. Cochlear. Mm -hmm. Where do you see the, the medical device um, arena going for the next sort of 10 years? Where do you see the most growth or progression, would you say? Yeah. Difficult well, question, I know. It's but a very good, it's a very good question, uh, Joe. I think if you look at what has happened in the last decade in uh, the medical device 
sector. Um, it has unfortunately been afflicted by a couple of quite significant disasters and I think uh, what we see now is that um, the best medical device companies are taking the best of what the pharmaceutical uh, multinational companies have learnt um, over the last 20 and 30 years and that is that well obtained clinical evidence from well thought through, well designed, well run clinical trials are absolutely critical to make sure that the balance between effectiveness and safety is optimised for medical devices just like it is for drugs. Mm. And I think there's some, some major learnings uh, that medical device companies can take from um, multinational pharmaceutical companies. Mm. I get a lot of calls from mm -hmm. physicians that are looking to move into mm -hmm. industry, whether that's medical affairs. Mm -hmm. We also get calls looking to move into clinical research. Mm -hmm. So from, from your side of things, what advice would you give physicians looking to make that transition from clinical practice into industry, whether that's devices or pharmaceuticals? Yeah, look, the first thing I would, uh, would recommend would be to seek out um, one of their former colleagues who have made the transition. Mm -hmm into uh, the pharma or medical device world and to, to talk through with a number of those uh, physicians who've made that transition, you know, what it is that they do. Because uh, I think when you're a practicing clinician, uh, you have uh, very little knowledge of what a physician in industry can do and what their responsibilities are, how they can add value. Um, I would also suggest that the, the multinational pharmaceutical company, company is not the only option. Um, there's really four options, you know, there's uh, large device, large pharma company um, and there's smaller either private or, um, you know, recently listed um, biotech mm. or uh, medtech companies as well. Uh, mm. So large and small uh, device or drug, uh, there are plenty of options there that a physician in industry uh, can take yep. and uh, the best way to go about uh, determining where you should go. Um, would be by talking to you know your colleagues who've made that leap already. What would you say are the three um, top attributes you would um, say are the most important to be successful in medical affairs? Yeah, look, I think uh, number one is uh, similar to when you're a practicing clinician is always, always, always put the interests of the patient uh, first. Uh, so the interests of the patient and his or her uh, treating clinician's needs. Uh, that can never be compromised and if you do that you'll always uh, be doing the right thing. Uh, secondly, I think absolutely critical to understand the unmet need uh, that uh, you are aiming to address um, and what is your role in satiating or meeting that unmet need. And I'd have to say that thirdly I think um, it's critical to always look after your people, so the people that you lead, uh, the people in your team, whether it's large or small, and your your peers in um, in other functions, always look after, understand, know about, and develop your people because uh, doing that breeds loyalty, and uh, loyalty drives um, strong team culture. And it's only with a team that we can achieve things. Mm. We can't do it by ourselves. So we've touched upon your mm -hmm. um, experiences um, about how to move into industry and how you got to where you are. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, your most recent role was Chief Medical Officer over at Cochlear, um, very senior role within a very reputable business. So my first question to you would be, um, what would you say your greatest accomplishment was as a Chief Medical Officer? Yeah, look, good question. I, 
you know, I've thought about this quite a lot. You know, by far and away, you know, the, the greatest satisfaction I get is from seeing people in my team <clears throat> take the opportunity to, to lead, uh, to make decisions, uh, to take responsibility and accountability. Mm. And I think in doing that, um, they develop their careers uh, and their professional lives, you know, flourish. So to flip that yep. question, um, yep. with regards to accomplishments, what would you say was your biggest challenge as a Chief Medical Officer? Oh, look, I think, uh, you know, the greatest challenge or the greatest disappointment I've seen in, in my time has been um, when I've been working uh, for a company that had a, a world-leading therapy, uh, very powerful therapy uh, for, for, for liver cancer. Um, I had seen it work, I'd seen it work for years, and we had a large-scale clinical program, but not all of those large trials developed uh, and delivered the results that we were expecting. Um, so really, you know, so, so when you have a failed clinical trial, um, that can be a major setback, and um, you know, it just goes to show that uh, great science is, uh, is sometimes difficult to achieve. So meticulous thought uh, to trial design, uh, trial execution, and uh, anticipating what you might get um, is absolutely critical. So I know as CMO, you, you managed a lot of people. I know mm -hmm. it was a very large team. Mm -hmm. um, so I mean, what would you describe as the top performing qualities um, your employees had and what made them you know, perform so well? Yeah, look, Joe, you know, uh, very clearly to me, uh, the folks who are the best performing are the ones who uh, really, really enjoy their job. Uh, now, you can't, always, uh, you can't always find that. That's a lifelong search for some people. The best people beyond uh, enjoying their role, I think, understand uh, the opportunity that the organisation is setting out to capture. Um, secondly, they understand and are bought into, so, so they're bought into, they own, they can talk to uh, the business strategy about how the business intends to capture uh, that opportunity, what the business aims to do about it, if you will. And then thirdly, I think the, the best performing folks uh, in the teams I've had the, the, the fortune to lead have known what their role in contributing to their part of the business strategy and, the, and its execution have been. Okay, and my final question mm -hmm. would be, how do you personally envisage the future of healthcare within Australia? Oh look, I think, um, again, at, at a macro level, uh, we've got an old, old school economy. Uh, you hear it talked about a lot. Uh, our economy still is predicated on mining, oil, gas, agriculture. Um, yes, we export you know, some uh, tertiary education to, to other countries, but I think ultimately, if you think about um, the meaningful careers that our children and their grandchildren will have, we need um, more high margin, high growth businesses in this country. We need more uh, life sciences companies of the caliber of CSL and Cochlear and mm -hmm. ResMed and such. Um, they're the big three that always get referenced. Uh, we need um, another five, another ten, another twenty of those, and so I think uh, we've got a lot to a lot to contribute uh, to those companies that are private, um, early stage companies, or just listed on the Australian Stock Exchange. Mm. Um, the expertise that we gain from those companies that I talked about, or multinational pharmaceutical and device companies, we need to translate that into those small companies 
to um, to grow those because they're the future. Sure. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for taking the time. My Appreciate absolute it. pleasure, Joe. Lovely, Cheers. lovely to spend an afternoon chatting to you. As, as right. well as you. Cheers. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. You can stream all our original podcasts on Spotify, Apple Music and SoundCloud.